We've been working our way through First uh, and Second Kings, following the lives of Elijah and Elisha. And this morning, we're going to look at Second Kings chapter five. So before I read, um, I did add one verse. It's, it's my fault. There should be at least part of verse fifteen there in your bulletin. So I'm going to read just a little bit further than than your bulletin goes. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and read that for us now. Second Kings, uh, it's chapter five, and I'll be reading verses one through most of fifteen. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel." So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as needy people. We need your living word this morning. We know that apart from the work of your spirit, we will not understand. So we ask that you would mold us and shape us by your word this morning. Give us uh, eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that believe. God, none of us need to hear from a man this morning, but we need to hear from you. 
So I do pray that you would give me uncommon clarity and boldness and compassion to proclaim Christ and Him crucified. We ask all this in His holy name. Amen. Hal mentioned to you that I'm married to Nan. A lot of people know me as Nan's husband. Um, uh, she, has a, she has a birthday next week, and it's a, it's a very special birthday. If you think about it, you can send her a card, or uh, you can send money. Um, but the reason this is special is because Nan is going to the DMV next week. Uh, she has to renew her driver's license. Apparently, this is an even more complicated process than it used to be somehow. And we were, we were talking about uh, the DMV yesterday, and, and Nan said... <laughs> One of the things that always strikes her when she gets to the DMV is somehow when you walk in the room, it seems like all of the strangest people in Athens came on the same day as you. It, you can hardly tell that they even live in the same city, but you know you don't have anything in common with them. But then, after a few minutes, it occurs to you, well, you do have something in common. Uh, none of you can do anything about your situation. You all have to sit, and you all have to wait. Uh, none of you can do anything to make the line move any faster. Uh, Nan's, uh, the fact that Nan went to college, uh, or the fact that she's a, a great mom and a great wife, uh, they won't help her. And for some reason, not even her good driving record will push anything along, because everyone is waiting on the girl behind the counter who's talking on the phone, and she is no respecter of persons. Uh, everyone's in the same boat. And as we were talking about this, um, we were just laughing uh, how the the gospel is actually just like that. Uh, We're all in the same boat. Uh, This morning, we all need uh, the same grace from the same God to save us from our sins. So that whether you live under uh, the North Avenue Bridge or you are the Queen of England, uh, the gospel puts everyone in the same boat. So as we come to our text this morning, my question for you is just, do you believe that? Do you really believe that apart from Christ, you're all in your sins? You're all in the same boat. Our passage this morning is about uh, Elisha's tenth miracle. Uh, as Hal noted last week, or and maybe a couple times before that, Elisha can be seen as a, as a type of Jesus, uh, the true prophet in Israel. And just like Jesus... Uh, The miracles that he performs show they're there to display God's glory and God's grace. Uh, And sometimes they may even even seem a little odd. I know I've never met anyone with leprosy, and I feel very sure that you've never met anyone who's been cured of their leprosy by jumping in a river. Um, But what we're going to see this morning is this. Actually, it's not that strange at all. Uh, This is a story about God's glory and His grace and the necessity of humility in the Christian life. We read earlier that God's chosen the foolish things to shame the wise, and here we see that God shames the wise, sometimes even for their own good. And because He's jealous for His own glory, we see that the healing power of God's grace is for the humble alone. Because God's jealous for His own glory, we see in this text that the healing power of His grace is for the humble alone. And we'll see that in three ways this morning. We'll see, first, the need for God's grace. Uh, We'll see the terms of God's grace and the power of God's grace, okay? 
the need, the terms, and the power of God's grace. First, uh, we see the need for God's grace. Uh, we, we see right away in our text that Naaman uh, was a great man. He was, a, he was an accomplished man. He was well-respected. We don't, we don't really have war heroes anymore, but Naaman would have been uh, Ulysses S. Grant or, or Robert E. Lee um, or Dwight, Dwight Eisenhower. He would have been Dwight Eisenhower. He was, he was a war hero, and the whole, the whole country uh, had great respect for him. He'd won a great victory for his land. In fact, Jewish tradition tells us that Naaman was the man who shot the arrow that killed King Ahab in 1 Kings 22. Um, we don't actually know if that's true, but we know Naaman was the kind of man that you might want to make up a great story about. He was very well respected. He had the king on speed dial. He could get whatever he wanted, and, and we see in verse 2, his wife wants a maid, so he sends off some of his men. They do a little raid, and they bring back a slave girl. Naaman could do whatever he wanted, but, it's a very important but in the end of verse 1, but he was a leper. When you see leprosy, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, uh, you ought to be reminded of the corruption and the corrupting power that sin has in our lives. Naaman wants to be known uh, for these other things. He wants to be known for his accomplishments, but he was a leper. So I'm just going to reread verse 1. Naaman was a leper. He was the commander of the army of the king of Syria, but he was a leper. He was a great man with his master, but he was a leper. Naaman was in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, but he was a leper. And he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. You see, Naaman Naaman thought he was a great man who had a little leprosy problem. But his leprosy defined him. It was his identity. It was not a circumstance in his life. It was his whole life. And interestingly, Naaman, um, he's, not, he's not in denial. He's not in denial of his leprosy. We see that he's actually willing to go to great lengths to get rid of his leprosy. I don't know what he had tried up to this point. Um, obviously, it had not worked, but he was willing to listen to his own slave tell him to go to some other country and listen to this other country's prophet. He heard, he heard that, and he said, okay, I'll try that. Uh, his, his, he, he was very aware of his leprosy. He did not want it to define him, but he could not escape its reality every day. Um, he, he went on a very expensive trip on a pretty wild mission uh, with no real guarantee that it was going to work because he wanted to get rid of his leprosy. And we even see that the king of Israel believes that this is the kind of thing well, that only God could do. Um, in verse 7, the king of Israel says, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Curing leprosy was akin to killing and rising from the dead. What the king of Israel is saying is, hey man, you need a miracle. I can't do this. This is only for the work of God. So what does this have to do with us this morning in, in 2014? Well, uh, maybe, maybe you're sitting there and saying, you know, I can't really, I can't really identify with Naaman. I'm just a teacher. Um, but you're a sinner. Or you think you're a banker but you're a sinner. Maybe, maybe you've accomplished uh, many great things in your life. Maybe you've been published uh, in national journals, or maybe you're just the kind of person uh, who can buy whatever you want and do whatever you please. And maybe, 
Maybe you just think you're basically a good person. But apart from the work of Christ, you stand before God as a guilty sinner this morning. Your sin defines you, and it is absolutely incurable apart from the miracle of God's grace. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, your sin ought ought to be the kind of thing that you think about all the time. It ought to be something that you think about when you come home from work, when you lay, when you go to bed at night, and when you wake up in the morning. Um, it ought it ought to haunt you. If it doesn't, uh, your sin is incurable, and it's going to kill you one day. Uh, your friends won't be able to help you. Your college education won't be able to help you, and all the good works that you can muster up between now and the day that you die will not be able to help you. People come to church for a lot of different reasons. Um, maybe you're here because you want it to, to help your marriage, or maybe you think your biggest problem uh, is your bank account, or just your loneliness and depression. But what we see here in our passage this morning is that your biggest problem is that you've sinned against a holy God. And whereas our culture likes to hand out therapy, sin is not something that can be massaged out. You do not need therapy. You need forgiveness. It's only when you acknowledge your sin that you can approach receiving the forgiveness of God. So we see that Naaman had a need for God's grace, and you have a need for God's grace. But we also see that seeing your need is actually not enough. Many people are convinced that they're not perfect, but that's really not that profound of an admission. Uh, You can die and know that you're a sinner and not have received the grace of God. So next we'll look at the terms of God's grace. We see in our passage that Naaman, initially, he wants to set the terms. Uh, He's very eager to have this healing, but he wants to dictate the process. Uh, Initially, he ignores the little girl's instructions to go to Elisha, and instead he goes to the king. Uh, He he wants to go straight to the top. He's attempting to, to flex his power, and depending on how you calculate it, it looks like he brings three and a half to five million dollars with him just to show that he's ready. Um, we've already seen that Joram, the, the, the king of Israel, he has no idea what to do. He doesn't even, he doesn't even think that Naaman can be healed in verse 7. Uh, for, for Joram, it's just a foregone conclusion that there's nothing you can do for Naaman. Uh, and he actually, he actually takes the whole thing as a setup and a threat. It, it's, so, it's so far beyond his imagination that Naaman would be healed that he thinks it's all a big trick for them to raid Israel again. Um, he tears his clothes. People don't really do that anymore. Um, maybe, maybe you've seen somebody throw their golf clubs in the water. Uh, <laughs> but he, he's, he's despairing. He's freaking out because he thinks it's an attack on him. It's so impossible. You see, Joram, he doesn't actually believe that God is with his people in Israel. Um, not a very fun king to have. Maybe... Maybe uh, you've gone to a church like that. Maybe you grew up in a church where nobody, nobody really believes there's actually any power. Uh, it's, just, um, 
It's just a membership badge. It's a place where you can cope, cope with life together. But we see that Elisha does not believe that at all. Elisha is eager to prove that God is very present and powerful. He's eager to put God's glory on display. In fact, I think, I think you can make the case that he's much more concerned with God's glory than he even is about healing Naaman. Even healing Naaman is, is just a means to the end of glorifying his God and making his name known. So Naaman tried to set the terms, uh, and Elisha, I guess he, he flips the script. Um, he, he sets the terms in a direct confrontation of Naaman's pride. Naaman shows up uh, with an entourage, and Elisha uh, won't answer the door. Verses 9 and 10, So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. So picture, you know, ten black escalades pull into the parking lot. Men get out in dark suits and sunglasses and secret-looking earpieces and several suitcases of cash. And I say, hey, uh, who's a deacon on duty? Um... Tell him to go jump in the North Oconee. Um, Naaman is pretty ticked. Um, he's actually, he's furious in verse 11. Naaman was angry and he went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Naaman, Naaman expected some fireworks. Uh, he wanted a big show, and he came ready. He came ready to pay for it. Um, he came ready to show that he was completely worthy of whatever this prophet could throw at him. Even though we saw in verse one that even Naaman's accomplishments are from the Lord. What do you have that you did not receive from God? And Elisha's response, he shows him. Hey, I know you think you're great, but you're just a leper. Um, and you can't, you can't come in here. I don't know how they deal with leprosy where you're from, but we don't mess around with that stuff. Um, and he also tells them, you know, God, God is not a magician. He's not a magician for hire who's waiting on your command. His grace does not come out of a vending machine. Um... But I think what makes Naaman the most angry, in verse 12, is he's just given a very simple solution. He's asked to lay down his pride. In verse 12, Naaman says, Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. I don't know what Naaman had done to try and cure his leprosy, but I can imagine that in his own mind, he'd done everything he possibly could to get rid of it. He's got the... If you could picture the, the picture of the Jordan is slow, and it's muddy, and it's warm. And Naaman says, hey, I've got, I've got two rivers full of cold, rushing, clear water piped into my house, and I shower every day, and I can't get rid of this leprosy. 
I'm sure he would have preferred to, he would have, he would have preferred Elisha to send him home and say, I need ten million dollars. He would have been glad to round that up. It would have been no problem. But you're telling me all these years of effort are worth nothing? Is that what you're telling me? And he leaves in a rage. Friends, we're not in the position to set the terms of God's grace. You may not approach God in your strength or your pride. And people don't like to hear this, but God is just not obligated to you for your money or for your deeds. Or how about this? Even, even for your covenant status. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 4 that many in Israel had leprosy, but only Naaman was healed, and they wanted to throw him off a cliff for it. They thought they had it in the bag because Abraham was their father. But they rejected him, and Jesus is reminding them that God is eager to send his grace out to the Gentiles if his people are going to turn their nose up at him. Many in Israel trusted in their covenant privileges, but we have to trust in the God of the covenant. God sets the terms. God says you have to humble yourself. You have to go down. Turn to me and be saved, he says. You have to lay down your pride, lay down all your own efforts. Um, Many people have turned their nose up at the free offer of God's grace. Maybe, Maybe you think it's just too weird, or it's just too simple. You spent your whole life trying to get rid of your sin. It can't be this simple. So is God's word enough for you? Are you at a place where you can say, you know, this is how God says it has to work. Are you, are you, are you, have you come to the end of yourself where you can lay down your effort and trust the God of the covenant? We read earlier that Christ is the power and wisdom of God to those who are being saved. It's Him alone. So we've seen that the need is established. You're a sinner. The terms are established. They're set by God. You must humble yourself and embrace His promises by faith alone. And now we see the power of God's grace. In verse 13... God actually pursues Naaman through his servants. But his servants came near to him and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? You see, they recognize the greatness of the promise. I don't know if it's because they were were the kind of people that were just used to being told what to do. Uh, or maybe, maybe they just shared a love for Naaman. They'd seen him struggle for so long. They wanted to see him get this cure. But we also see that they were just better listeners. Naaman thought Elisha said, be cleansed. 
He, Naaman thought it was a ritual. Maybe that's, what, maybe that's what you think church is like. It's just a club. It's just a ritual. And if that's the case, you might as well go to the one with the big steeple. Um, Naaman knows that his water is better. If it's about the water, if it's just a ritual, I might as well get in the clean water. Um, but what Elisha actually said is your flesh shall be restored. It's not a ritual. God is never about the ritual. The promise is of a complete healing. And friends, the gospel is the promise of absolute restoration. It's not a promise of membership. If you know that's what you need, then it's very good news. So Naaman, he does listen. He believes and he obeys. He's finally at the end of himself and says, okay, I'll try, I'll try this one more thing. One more thing. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. Seven times. I wonder what he was thinking after the first time. He goes down and he comes up and he appears even dirtier than he was before. Maybe he still sees his leprosy, I'm not sure. He goes down again, but he's got nothing left. So he keeps going. He goes down and he goes down and he goes down seven times. You see what God's doing? He has to go down. He's being humbled. God is changing him. He demands humility, and yet he makes him humble. He's also showing him that he's entering a new life. It's a lifetime of going down. It's a lifetime of faith and repentance. He comes up out of the water, and he has new flesh. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, it says. And he was clean. You see here, he actually becomes a whole new person. Um, I didn't mention much about her earlier, but Naaman actually becomes like the little girl. She's, so, she's sort of the opposite of Naaman throughout the story. You see, she doesn't have anything. She's been taken away from her family, taken away from everything she's known. She has no power. She has no influence. But yet she trusts the goodness of God. Even for other people. In spite of all her circumstances, even when the king of Israel didn't believe that God could do anything, she believed. See, her faith in God's grace gave her hope for the whole world. Not just for herself. Do you know, do you know God this way? When you think about your unbelieving friends, do you say, you know, God, I mean, I don't, God can never do that. They're never, they're never going to change. Or do you say, would that he were with Jesus, he would cure him of his leprosy. You see, in this story, God actually supplies all that he requires. Naaman came as a pagan seeking a cure for his skin disease from the God of Israel. 
And he comes out of the water with his sins cured by the God of the whole world. God demands humility, and he's the one that makes you humble. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, in this story, what we see is that it's God's work from beginning to end. It was God's kindness to give Naaman leprosy. Because, see, it wasn't actually his skin that was the problem. His pride was his leprosy. It was God's mercy that Naaman stole this little girl away from her family and brought her to Naaman. It was God's grace that his own servants turned him back. You see, throughout the whole story, it's God who's at work. It's God who's bringing Naaman low. It's God who's humbling Naaman and actually making him a new person. So this morning, we desperately need the grace of God, but we have to receive it on His terms. It must be by faith in Christ alone, and we can know that it is the power to save, the power to change, the power to make us new creatures. The gospel is not just an ointment for some minor side problem that you have for your, for your pride spots. Um, the gospel, you see, the gospel is the Red Sea. The gospel washes away all God's enemies and cleanses his people. This is the gospel. But, but have, you, have you listened? Have you heard that God demands your total surrender? And God supplies what he requires. If you're in Christ, you're out of Egypt, but you are not across the Jordan. You have a lifetime of repentance ahead of you. A lifetime of repentance in the wilderness. And as you go down and down and down again in faith, God is working in you to conform you into the image of his son. You have to lose your life in order to save it. So why is the gospel so simple? Well, it's not because nothing needed to be done but it's because the great thing has been done. Christ has done all the things that you could never do so that by faith, you too can die and be raised to new life in Him. The gospel is not a ritual. It's not an affinity group. The gospel of Christ's death and resurrection brings new life and forgiveness of sins. So today... Uh, repent and be saved. No one ever got saved tomorrow. Today is the day of your salvation, so humble yourself. Let's pray.